Titus chapter 2 verse 1. Uh, here's what the Bible says, and I'm reading this morning out of the New International Version. You, Tim, uh, Titus, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in a way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then, then they could train the younger women, okay, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, a similarly, similarly, right? Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Praise the Lord. One more verse, verse seven. And everything set them in example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you, and there are some who oppose, that they may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. I love the new international version here. Paul gets to the to the heartbeat of instructions for the church. I want to talk for the next few moments, building stronger families in a post-pandemic day. Building, what kind of families? Stronger families. What kind of families? Come on. Stronger families in a post-pandemic day. Please be seated if you can in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I, I love... This, this passage of scripture, it's a little different. Normally when we talk about the dynamics of parenting, we look at Ephesians, we might look at 2 Corinthians, we might look at uh, Proverbs, and I don't know if I've ever heard or witnessed anybody teaching um, from, from, from the book of Titus, because, you know, Titus is a church-ordered book. In other words, it, it, when you look at chapter 1 of Titus, Verse 1 and 2 really just kind of cuts to the chase of why Paul wrote Titus. Paul was on that journey with all of the young men and they were going from island to island and city to city and town to town. But he leaves Titus in a, a small island called Crete. All right, Crete is still there to this day. And he says, you know what? I don't want you to journey any further with me as I go on to my itinerary. I want you to stay right here on this island because this island has a bad reputation of lazy men glutton and arrogant women that, that, that was the whole mo of that particular island so they're going to be strong they're going to fight you they're going to oppose and resist you but titus i want you to be very sound very serious in fact not once but twice he says I, you have my permission to rebuke sharply anybody who opposes the word of god okay so this is a, this is the whole different you know atmosphere here it's a little different from some of the other letters that Paul writes. Now, mind you, this is one of Paul's last letters. He's writing this letter from a, from a jail in Rome. And most scholars and commentators suggest that this is probably right when he had been given his death sentence. So he knows his time is short. He knows his, day on the, his days on the earth won't last for so long. 
And, and you know, it's kind of like how we talk from time to time. If you knew you only had a few days or a few weeks or a few months left, your whole, your whole life would change. So Paul gets down to business and he tells Titus, here's some of the things that I need you. I want you to set in order the things of the church. You know, we talked a lot about the global pandemic. I don't want to bore you with all of the statistics. And yes, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Thank God for the vaccinations. And thank God that the, the numbers are getting better and things are working in improvement and, and favor and all of that. And, you know, I, I still think we have a while to go. I still think we're not out of the woods yet. You know, yet some states now, you don't have to wear a mask. You got some states you do have to wear a mask. And, you know, now, you know, my dad really called it out. I was talking to my dad a couple of, uh, about a week ago. He said, man, it's going to be some hot mess in some of these par parts of the country because people are going to stop fighting in restaurants and banks and people are going to start getting in all type of issues because even though you don't have to wear a mask, some companies say you do have to wear a mask and someone's going to come in without a mask thinking they're abiding by the law and everybody else is going to get upset and there's going to be fights and brawls and all that and we're seeing it right now on TV and so, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. There's still a lot of things going on this year or this week, this day, this month. We celebrate and not celebrate, excuse me, but we, we, we remember the year anniversary of Breonna Taylor. We remember the year anniversary of George Floyd and all of the things we've seen. Can you imagine, can can you believe it has been a year? Can you believe how fast this year has gone this time last year where we were at as a country, as a nation, as a global community? But yet we're still here, still standing, still moving forward. And we've got our work to do. I said then, I'll say now, this is still the church's finest moment. I believe that this is the church's most opportunistic time to make an impact in community, okay? I'm so grateful, so appreciative of being a part of you all, the family of faith, the, the household of faith. We've gone through deaths, mourning, grieving, hospitalizations, job loss, income fluctuation. We've gone through all type of fears and phobias and we've gone through all type of moments emotionally, psychologically, financially, mentally, spiritually. But we're still here. Why? Because we're built to last. Our firm foundation has been built on the things of the Lord. Next Sunday, my wife and I, we, we take that deep dive off the deep end. And I'm going to give you seven-day notice. Seven-day notice. Next Sunday will be a, 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 a very intimate moment, a very serious moment. Because we really want to talk, how do you build on the ruins of yesterday's ashes? How do you start over? How do you build? How do you rebuild? And we'll look from the passage of scripture where the Bible speaks of the house being built on sand versus the house being built on the rock. And there's a big difference, contrasting difference between the two cultures. And so I want to be able to minister. And I pray that you are encouraged, you are affirmed. I pray that you are reminded that when God is first, through the thick and the thin, through the ups and the downs, there's nothing too hard for God. Samson, the hair can grow again, okay? When you look at so many various factors of scripture, male or female, you find out that God is a God of redemption. God is a God of reconciliation. And God is a God of restoration. So what does that look like in marriage? What does that look like with your children? What does that look like with your career, your calling? So it's going to be really a, an opportune time to broadcast to the church on campus, online, and to tell the world that God is faithful over his promises. 
and he's faithful over his covenant. Let's go back to the book of Titus just for a few moments and again, just want to lay a little foundation and then we'll go from there. Here, here are three or four things that really stood out in, the, in, in Titus chapter two. In fact, let me read verse one through uh, six. Uh, one through three. You must teach, in fact, uh, let me do it in the New King James because there's something in the New King James that NIV didn't pick up and I want to read this for you. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Okay? The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Two things come out to me, and I want to talk to the parents today. Never underestimate the value of three things. Number one, the spoken word. The spoken word. Paul says, Titus, don't underestimate speaking the things of sound doctrine. There is power in the spoken word. There's power in the spoken word of God. And we'll make that distinction in a moment. Um, number two, power in the written word. Power in the written word. So it wasn't enough for Titus to give positive thought. Wasn't enough for Titus to give affirming thought. But he said, make sure it is with sound doctrine. Okay? Uh, if I was in my theological seminary class under the uh, Christian ed department, I talk about the word orthodoxy, orthodoxy, right or straightening or ortho of teaching or of doctrine of word, the right word. We must be a people of right word, orthodoxy, orthodoxy. And not only that, we need to be a people of orthopraxy, ortho, right, and practice. It's not enough to have the right word if we're not practicing it on a daily basis. And that's really the whole summary of Paul's letter to Titus. Make sure you have the right word and you practice it the right way. When I think about parenting, how important is it for us to parent with godly values? Okay? Now help me with this one. I'm not necessarily thinking about the toddlers, the infants, and the, the younger kids. Most of us, if not all, are in now a season of, of ministering, parenting young adults. All right? How important today is it to do with the spoken word, the written word, and I'm going to give you a third one right here. What about the, the power of godly confession? Okay? I just finished a book, this, and no, in fact, I have maybe three or four pages left. It's a book by uh, Robin Sherma called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Very good book, very motivational classic book. Uh, you all are quiet, I see. I, I know because it kind of meant, what, huh? The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Talks about, it, it, it's a beautiful story about an attorney who basically has a heart attack and life comes crashing in. He goes to the Himalaya Mountains, spends some time with some sages, and he comes back and realizes, hey, what's really important in life? So he sells his Rolex, uh, <clears throat> Uh, Brother Reggie, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> he sells his Ferrari, and, 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 and basically he spends the rest of his life, you know, about things that matter the most. And someone in this book, it, 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 you know, it's amazing how even the world, and it's not a godly book, it's not a spiritual book, it's not even a, a Christian book by any means, but it's amazing how even the practical and the secular understands the power of confession. The, 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 the power of affirmative speech. How you are to confess over yourself and profess over yourself. And it's amazing because we've been saying that all of our church lives. I am a child of God. 
I am the head and not the tail. I am above only, not beneath. My, 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 my sins are forgiven. My body is healed. We speak those things that are not as though they were. Are y'all with me? Uh, you, uh, we, we, we confess scripture. We confess the word of God. We speak those things that are not as though they were. We decree and declare. We've known this. But it's sad that we got to go to the secular world only for them to remind us of what we already know in the Bible. So parents, confession, the, word, the written word, and the spoken word. Uh, number two, here's what I pull out of Titus, and I'm almost finished my little sermonette here. Titus, Paul says Titus, he, I mean, I can almost see him say time out. It wasn't the church's responsibility to raise children. It was the parents' responsibility at the home to raise children. Okay? Sometimes we, 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 we ship our children to church and say, do something with our kids. And the church needs to send those kids back home and say, no, you do something with these kids first. Then we can reiterate and reaffirm what you've already put in them. Okay? All right, be careful now. I'm about to go somewhere with this one. Same with adults. It was never the pastor's responsibility. Uh-oh. It wasn't necessarily the praise team or, or, or the, the deacons to raise younger men in the church. It was the older men that were told and commanded to train the younger men. You know where I'm going, right? It was never the first lady or the pastor or the pastoral care team to raise the women in the church. It was the older women who were supposed to parent the younger women. Uh, you're not saying amen. Okay, let's go back to scripture. Likewise, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent that they may live not by slandering, not addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Who are they to teach? Keep reading verse 4. Then they could train the younger women. So for every woman in this room who has not given birth to a child and you're still sitting there trying to figure out who he's talking to, I'm talking to you. God gave you a holy commandment and the word to train, mentor, all right, help, strengthen, encourage younger women. Now, here's an observation that I want to make. When we think older, younger in biblical days, I'm not too sure an old woman was in her 60s or 70s in biblical days. Okay? I believe the lifespan, all right, was a whole lot younger than it is today. An older woman could have been someone in her 30s or 40s. A younger woman could have been 13, 14, 15. So age, all right, age is really not an excuse for you to find somebody to pour into. You're not saying amen. There's really only a couple of reasons why you won't pour into a younger woman. Number one, maybe you've not been delivered from wine. Now I'm talking Bible. I'm talking. You still there? You are still there, aren't you? Maybe you're not delivered from slander. Uh-huh. And we call it Holy Ghost slander. What do you mean? Child be praying for so-and-so. Why? Child, I heard the police was at their house three in the morning. Man, y'all tell you this and that happened. Child be, let's, let's be interceding and praying for brother so-and-so. Why? Well, child, let me tell you what I heard. Man, I was on the internet the other night. And I see. Yeah, just be No, no, no. That's slander. That's not prayer. That ain't intercession. That's ungodly slander. Can I keep reading the Bible? Am I okay this morning? I mean, this is church, right? This is the house of God, right? Okay. All right. Hold on. So, so, so here we go. Um, then they could train the young women to love their husbands and children. 
So if the older women would be an example to the younger women, right? The problems that many churches are facing, we wouldn't have. If the older um, wife will pull aside and take over the Cracker Barrel, the younger wife, and say, sister, let me just talk to you about what marriage is really all about. From a biblical godly and an experienced way. Wouldn't be a need for so many uh, social media or, or, or Facebook buddies. If, if, if the older men will quit being so cranky. Right? And mean. <laughs> stubborn. Uh, ego. If we would take some of the younger brothers and say, hey, I can help you avoid some pain and some problems by showing you that I'm not always Superman, but I'm also Clark Kent. Right? We have Zoom meetings. We have Facebook meetings. We have in-person meetings. We got volunteer opportunities. We got outreach gatherings. We got all type of opportunities. But sometimes as men, we're held hostage by the guilt and the shame of our past. And so parenting is not just in the dynamic of father and son, mother and daughter in the same household. To Paul, parenting was communal. I want some of the older men to train the younger men. I want some of the older women to parent some of the younger women. Uh, let me give you one more scripture now and, and I'll close. All right. Uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six. You know the scripture already, but I think it's worth reminding you. Go to Ephesians chapter six, verse one. Okay. We love to quote the scripture when it comes to getting our kids in order. Right. But, 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 but maybe, maybe there was a spiritual perspective here. Uh, you know the scripture already. Ephesians six and one children obey your parents where what kind of parents huh now there's only really one or two ways you can look at that scripture either that's either that's either that means obey your parents who are saved spirit filled in the Lord obviously in the word of God or or maybe it's saying parents or excuse me children younger Christians obey those who are spiritual authorities in the Lord it could be. I'm not going to. I'm not going to uh, cement that thought. But I think it's, it's open for both considerations, right? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. As simple as that scripture appears, there's really some 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 you know some 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 stuff going on there. Because the argument could be made, well, what if I have a parent who's not saved? Do I still obey them? Hmm. What if I have a mother who, 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 who doesn't know the Lord and she's just wilding out and the whole nine? Do I still honor her? There's some dynamics going on here. One thing we know is this. God gave the word. And when the word of God was given, it had instructions and expectations with it. I say to every one of you all, as much as you can, whether your parent is saved or not, whether they love Jesus or not, you find the best opportunity and the best way you can to obey them, to honor them. Because whether they are right or wrong, God's word is never wrong. Whether they hit the nail or not, God's word will never fail. And if you do it as unto the Lord, God will find a way to honor you. We all want our lives to be long on the earth.
Well, God makes a promise. If we would obey, if we would honor, God would see fit that we would walk with long life on the earth. I want to, I want to give you one more thing, and, I, and I, I think I'm finished, because I could go on and on and on, but I want to kind of turn and, and really kind of lay out a, a, an opportunity for you to ask questions and for us to really, really get into the, to the relevancy of, of what's happening in our world today, okay? I, I did pull out an article that I think is worth giving you some of the highlights to. Uh, this article is titled, How to Handle a Disrespectful Grown Child. Okay? Now, notice this. It's written by Rebecca Joy Stanborough, MFA, whatever that means. I don't know, medical, blah, 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 I don't know. But it's also medically reviewed by Dr. Uh, PhD Timothy J. Legg, L-E-G-G. How to handle a disrespectful grown child. Uh, can I give you some highlights? Yeah. Uh, I bet you I can. Yes, 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 yes. Um, the first question was asked, why is disrespect so hard for parents to handle? One reason disrespect is so hard uh, is that it can feel as though all of the years of sacrifice, all of the years that you've done for your child is devalued and cast aside. While your child is listing your many failures, you're silently tallying all of the dollars you've spent all of the laundry loads you folded, all of the homework projects you've supervised, right? Few parents, listen to this, few parents are strangers to guilt and regret over some aspect of their parenting. So, so, so in other words, um, we often hold ourselves hostage because maybe of our past. I, I, I read some things that kind of, like, oh boy. Okay, so, so watch this. Perhaps most importantly, disrespect from your adult child touches on the deepest parental fear that you don't want to lose them. How many parents would agree with me that is probably maybe one of our biggest fears is that you just don't want to lose your adult child. Okay? Um, Joshua Coleman, PhD, author of the book, When Parents Hurt and Rules of Engagement. He says, the curiosity of a conflict with an adult child often takes a parent by surprise. Quote, many parents are unprepared for the degree of hostility and antagonism that they get from their adult children and find that they have little experience from their prior relationships to prepare them for the low, or excuse me, for how hurt, betrayed, and angry they feel it as a response. He goes on to say, studies have shown that conflict between parents and their adult children are likely to affect the parent more than it affects the child because parents become increasingly invested in the relationship over time. Now, the next question is, what could be causing this disrespect among children? Now, get ready for this, all right? And I think this is home for many of us. The U.S. Census reports indicate that roughly a third, a third of young adults, that is ages 18 to 34, so hmm, do I have a child 18 to 34? Okay, yeah. Uh, Watch well, this. A third of them live at home with their parents. That's about 24 million people ages 18 to 34 still live at home with their parents. A quarter of those in the ages 25 to 34 are in the bracket they neither are in school, they do not work, and now they've given this syndrome a new name. It's called the emerging adulthood. We didn't have emerging adulthood when we were that age, right? 18, either you went to the military, or you went to college, or for many of we were just out on our own. And you wouldn't come back home, all right? But now we have this emerging 
uh, adulthood. With many of the milestone markers of adulthood postponed, frustration and stress may be affecting the very relationships that are yet in the house. Let me give you a couple of more thoughts real quick. I know this is kind of long, but I think, I think this can add value, okay? In a 2018 study, researchers explored conflict between adult children and older parents, finding that tension flared when the two had different goals. So think about you trying to still parent. You know, one of the things I'm going to ask Dr. Shear when he gets up here, because uh, he said something about a month ago that has still rattled me, and I still haven't gotten over that conversation. But he talks about how we still call our kids kids. And I'm thinking to myself, what else I'm going to call them? I, I don't know what else to call them. I mean, I know they're 18 and 23 and 25, but they're still my kids. But maybe, maybe there's something in that conversation that needs to be explored. Because sometimes I wonder, this is me talking, do we overparent? Maybe because of our negligence, yes, sir. of our guilt. Okay? Yes, yes. Maybe we were deprived at 22, 23, what have you, neglected. So we're going to overcompensate and make sure that at 29, all right, they still get three square meals and we're still spoon feeding them. And we think we're doing them a favor, but maybe we're hurting. More than work. I, I, this is me talking. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not in my notes right now. I'm just kind of talking out loud. Maybe I'm talking out. You know, I'm just okay. 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 Um, so where were we? Uh, the more stubborn a parent is, the more negative the, the adult child's mood will become. Yeah. Here's some truths. There are no perfect parents. We know that already. Your choices and even your personal characteristics may have created hardships for your adult children, whether you intended them or not. The anger aimed at, the anger aimed at you, even if it feels disproportionate, may be the result of past events or injuries. I, I, won't, be, I won't have time to go through all these pages, but it does talk about the place of mental uh, health with the child, substance abuse with the child, the influence of others. Now, I'm using the word child, but you know what I'm trying to say. The adult child, right? The history of abuse. Listen to this closely. If your spouse spoke to you or your children in an emotionally abusive way, your child may take the same liberties with you. Hmm. Okay. I, I could go early on and on and on with those statistics and those facts and those statements. Researchers found that those who have been exposed to abuse as children were more likely to abuse their elders later in life. Wow. Now we got to go back and think, how many times did I just unnecessarily beat my child when they were growing up? And will I get, will that, will that happen to me when I'm, I mean, it's funny, but it happens. You better be nice to them kids. Okay. All right. So let me close with this thought uh, of this particular article. What can you do about the disrespect? Um, consider adjusting your parenting style. This particular article talks about four different styles, the authoritarian, the authoritative, the authoritative, the permissive, and the neglectful. And basically they say, you know what, you may have grown up as an authoritarian or very authoritative, but as an adult, you don't have that leverage anymore. You can't send a 30-year-old to time out. All right. You can't take a 24-year-old and say, go get the belt. That's just, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> if you do, uh, WBT3 will be at your house in about 30 minutes, all right? But, but what you have to do is maybe, maybe now the permissive, authoritative, 
way of approaching that young adult is best versus trying to lay the hammer down. They, they go on to say that it's, 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 it's how you say versus what you say. In other words, in a very permissive but authoritative way, maybe your guidance and advice is a little bit more needed now than you trying to control. Yes. Listen to me closely because I, I know this is very relevant. I think sometimes we try to strong arm as the older one with control, maybe even a little manipulation, manipulation versus being, being more persuasive and guidance in your conversation. Remember, they're not kids anymore. They're not children anymore. Everyone has grown up but you. Okay? And I, I need you to understand that no one wants to lose their child, their adult children. We, don't, we want to see them as saved and pr productive and loving and graceful and blah, blah, blah. But, but we often find ourselves in some really tight moments. Okay? Um, gosh, I wish I could give you all this. You have to acknowledge the hurt that you may have caused in raising that, that young adult. That, if that child lashes out at you and say, but remember when you did A, B, and C, this won't be the time for you to get stubborn and say, oh, forget it, that, that was then, this is now. Maybe now it's time to man up and say, you know what, you're right. I, I should have done better and could have done better. Okay, just some, just some ideas. Uh, learn to set healthy boundaries. There's a difference between allowing your child to express anger or air their grievances and then allowing them to abuse you emotionally or, or, or verbally. There's a difference between the two, so don't let them abuse you or verbally insult you, but at the same time, try to create a space where they can give off their grievances. There are some rare mutual ways you can work through all this. And there was one last thought in here I thought it was very important. Um, obviously, consider working with a therapist to explore your adult child's reasons and uh, 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 finding some type of contact to help them out when it's all said and done. I, again, there's more information. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm cutting it really short on you all, but I wanted to at least give you some type of sticking points to say, this is real. We all deal with this. And we dealt with this before quarantine. Now your college student has to come home. Right? Now the young couple who thought they were on their own and thought they were making a budget, now they got to move into the basement for, for a few months to save, to, to, to save some money. Right? And, and, and some of you are parenting your grandkids. I'm going to stop. I'm going to give you one scripture and I'm finished. Go to Titus. Let's go back to Titus. One verse. And, uh, in fact, Titus chapter 3. Because I would hate to give you these quote-unquote statistics, articles, talking points, and leave you without some type of solution. A takeaway. Okay? Titus 3, verse 4. I want you to listen very closely to these, 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 these three scriptures. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we done but because of his mercy come on someone say his mercy listen he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit hallelujah whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. I could read that a thousand times. 
Please listen closely as, before we bring our guests up, our, 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 our panelists up. Two things you need to know about that scripture. Number one, it's not often the Bible calls God the Savior. We know Jesus, his son, to be the Savior. But you have to understand God had the plan. Jesus worked out the plan. Titus, Paul calls, uh, Paul calls God Savior here because it was ultimately his plan of salvation that was fulfilled and worked out through Jesus the Son. But not only does Paul recognize God the Savior, he also recognizes the Holy Spirit. One thing I'm going to ask both these sets of parents is how important is it to parent with the Holy Spirit? How important is it to parent as godly parents? All these secular articles are good, and you can get some really good information off secular articles and books and periodicals and readings and studies, and all that's great. But we walk to the beat of a different drum. All right, we're not trying to raise our kids in this Marxism, post-secular, uh, 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 humanistic world. We raise our children and our grandchildren by the word of God. Because for the last umpteen thousands of years, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it has been proven, tried, and true. Okay? And I know that it's popular to want to do the popular thing because of all of this information download syndrome. But take them back to the word of God. Because the word of God won't fail them, and the word of God won't fail you. All right? So with that being said, we see the presence of God the Savior, but we also see the practice of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you can successfully parent your child without the Holy Spirit. Why do you say that? Because the Holy Spirit is going to counsel you as you counsel them. The Holy Spirit is going to comfort you when your heart's been broken. And the Holy Spirit is going to guide you when directions need to be given. Without the Holy Spirit, how will you get the comfort, the counsel, and the guidance? That's his job. He's the paraclete. But then thirdly, we see the value, the presence of Jesus Christ, whom the Bible says that he generously threw Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may be heirs to the hope of eternal life. You have to incorporate the fact that Jesus is our only hope. That the only way to eternal life in heaven with God is through Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ being the center mark, the epicenter, ground zero of your conversation with child children, I think your parenting is in vain. You have to lead them to a rock higher than I. It's not about the fraternity, the sorority. It's not about the family genealogy. In fact, Paul tells Titus, be careful of people who often express family genealogy. Sometimes we can put more stress into our family name than the name of Jesus. Okay? We were listening to a commentator last night, very articulate, by the way, but he really broke down the, the, the difference of being Judeo-Christians in America versus all of the onslaught of things we're seeing in our country. We've even allowed race now to become our religion. We're more concerned about race than we are about our salvation, right? We're more ready to stand for our race than we are about our Christianity, okay? And so now it bleeds in to the Black Lives Movement. It bleeds in to anything other than the organization and the institution of Christ and his church. And I don't, I don't think that's the message we should be indoctrinating our children with. Okay? Our identity first is in Christ Jesus. We are African American. We are citizens of the United States of America. But our greatest identity, it is in him that we live. Right? 
It is in him that we move. It is in him that we have our being. Any man who loses his life will find his life. And if you think you found your life in this world, you've lost your life. Our truest identity is shed under the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? So whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Native American, Asian, wonderful culture background, but our greatest identity is found in the crimson red blood. You have to stop aiding and abating the prowess of the white man, of the Asian man, of the Jewish man. I don't care if their blood was green, purple, polka dot, plaid, or paisley. The blood of Jesus was the blood that cleansed me from my backslidings and from my sin. It was the blood shed 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross right there on Golgotha that gave me liberty, that gave me freedom, that gave me an identity to be the child of God. I am adopted into the family of God. Abba, Father.